0: Okay, I'm reading Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me, In the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. My name is Derek. I serve as an elder here at Church in the Square. Um, I, it's grateful to be here with you today. Um, as we've been going through this series, uh, elders have been taking time to reflect on um, a verse or a passage that has been um, affecting them in a season. Um, and today we'll continue that. Um, before we start, um, I want to take a minute uh, and honor uh, someone. Um, uh, Tim Keller passed yesterday. Um, And if you don't know who Tim Keller was, he's a pastor um, of a church in New York uh, called the Redeemer Church. Um, He is um, a brother that has faithfully served and and sent out gospel teachings uh, for many, many years. Um, He's responsible for a Christian imagination that just wouldn't be without him. Um, He ended uh, his battle with pancreatic cancer yesterday and... uh, if you know him, it's likely the circles around him, you heard outpourings of love um, and care for him. Uh, and what Tim Keller means kind of to us and here and this church is, is unique. Um, his gospel centrality, uh, the focus on the city, um, and really a lot of the language that we use today, like the third way. You hear us say the third way all the time. Not this way, not that way, but a third way. That's Keller. Um, We use a lot of Tim Keller's um, teachings uh, inside of this body, um, deacons and eldership stuff. And so he's a brother that we honor, um, that served faithfully. um, And in in his final words, uh, you know, he could tell that this man loved Jesus. He said, there's no downside for me leaving. And I pray one day that uh, I have a heart uh, and a love for Christ like uh, Pastor Tim Keller did. So I'll just take a moment of silence. Um, He's survived by his wife and children um, for him. So Aaron was scheduled to preach today. Um, His family, uh, as some of you may know in their group, has been going through some sickness, some exhaustion, um, and they needed to care for them today. Um, And so I'm up here. You get me two weeks in a row, um, which is unique, which is very unique. Um, don't get your hopes up. Uh, just kidding. I'll try to handle this word appropriately. Um, now, Aaron, uh, not being here today, get, was an opportunity for me to do something that I normally get to do. Obviously, preach two days in a row. Um, but what it did actually more uniquely for my soul was he modeled a vulnerability to ask for help. Uh, this is not something I do normally, this isn't something that I. I do easily. Uh, I typically put my head down and go. Aaron said, I need rest to care for my family, and I need help from my brothers to teach. And it shows me that that's okay to ask for help. That vulnerability is unique. It's unique to me. And it gave me another opportunity to serve in a way that I'm not most comfortable. It refines me in ways unlike anything else in my week offers. And so Aaron, thank you. I saw the kingdom more clearly today because you were willing to ask for help. It's a weird, twisted thing, but it's beautiful, and it's good for my heart. So thank you. Last week, we talked about serving two masters. If you were here, uh, we talked uh, about Matthew 6 and about serving God and money and how our contentment is found in Jesus. Jesus gave his entire self in order that we may be content today with him and his truth and his beauty. What Jesus offers us through the cross is life itself. Without the tethering, the lies, and the seed of loving money. He told us as sons and daughters of the Most High God, and in Him we're whole, lacking, and in Him we're whole and lacking nothing. This all sounds fine, and it's all true. I mean, it's very true. And the comforting, of, and comforting, but this truth is something I deeply battle with to believe week in and wing out, day in and day out, meeting to meeting, task to task, event to event, that Jesus actually offers contentment that I can feel in my being today, that needs no augmentation, no additions, no newness. In fact, this contentment was poetically being written before Jesus was even close to entering earth. Thousands of years before he showed up as fully man and fully God. David, the shepherd, the warrior, the king, the adulterer, the murderer, and the man was writing about contentment in his God. The book of Psalms was mostly written by David, offers us a poetic and beautifully constructed organization of words that offer living breathing and lifelike responses emotions and feelings to our god from humans so today i'd like to discuss psalm 23 and how god is with us the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he makes me lie ground in green pastures he leads me by still waters he restores my soul he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me ask God for help. I know I'll need it. Gracious Father, as we enter into this time to understand, to learn, to see you more clearly, clearly, God... Help me to even enunciate my words better. Help me, God, to be just another body that's delivering a word that you've already said. God, we love you. We need you. Amen. I've never taught through a psalm before. I say that for context. Uh, This might sound a bit different other than other teachings or sermons. You see, the psalms are poetry. They're expression. They're emotional outpourings that Old Testament folks wrote as their heart guided. David, Moses, Solomon, and Abraham... All have written Psalms in the Bible. Some big hitters. But so do Asaph and Ethan and Haman and Korah. Maybe more unfamiliar names of the Old Testament, but it all included, but it's all included in the hundred and fifty Psalms. At this point, Jesus had yet to come. Emmanuel, God with us, had yet to walk on earth to teach, to perform healings, to counterculturally disrupt the religious, to be among humans like us, to cast out demons. To pronounce that the Son of Man is here for all peoples, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. Yet in the pain, triumph, and joy of the Psalms, we're able to digest through words the experience, the emotions, and the beauty of God before Jesus arrived. You see, what the Psalms offer us are a way to personally, one-on-one through poetic language and sentiment. See the Lord in our own story. See the Lord in our moment. See the Lord in a season of our life that they are made to be digested fully and spoken about in the same fashion, like a piece of art that you can stand and stare at for a bit and feel the joy or comfort that the statue or painting is showing or be able to revel or indulge in the creation of the piece and how the artist so intricately painted or sculpted, all while considering their mood and current life situation. All of this offers deep personal connection unique gut feelings and responses that often may be struggled to put into words so as we experience this psalm together today do me a favor put down your notepads put your phone away turn off that part of your brain that says i need to learn something today it's okay see i'm the farthest thing that you would consider from an artist i can hardly legibly write my own name but i can talk a plant into a 30-minute conversation really about anything, so I invite you to learn as I am. I invite you to receive the beauty and power of this psalm and the affections it's created and how its words have shown up in my life. I believe there is one reason, I believe one reason why God gave us the psalms is to, to experience human beings being human. They're personal and they should be taken so. So to begin, I stole an idea for the style and flow of this structure of this writing today, which I guess feels a bit artistic, Michael Wilcock wrote about Psalm 23 in The Message of the Psalms, Songs for the People of God. He drew three living expressions of this psalm, and it gave me the canvas I needed to gather my emotions and feelings and carry in regards to Psalm 23. So I'm going to use these structures to lay out my responses to this poem. The sheep and his shepherd, the travel and his companion, the guest and his host. The sheep and their shepherd. I'm a doer. I'm action-oriented. I have a motor that rarely slows. From a young age, I, ju- I from a young age I just very much would go fast and rarely stop. So rest and being still are not pieces of this life that I regularly adhere to. Nor do I believe I need them. This may be a common theme in your life as well. It can show up in busyness and overcommitment, or the inability to be alone. I'm fairly restless. Now, to all my folks out there who struggle to sleep or rest or stay asleep, I'm sorry. I live with one of those and that's not what I mean. I mean I'm a good sleeper. I've learned that this makes people mad when I tell people I'm a good sleeper. <laughs> Forgive me. But I'm talking about mental, emotional, and spiritual rest. Rest like the Father did on day seven, Sabbath rest. And if you're desiring to learn more about the Sabbath, please pick up Marvin On's book uh, called Keeping the Sabbath Holy, uh, we have it. Again, I'm restless. I love to seek and root out new business ideas, work on projects, take on new things, discover new ways of thinking and talk to new folks about, frankly, anything. This seeking isn't wrong or bad. This is the way the Lord's created me and offered His likeness to me as His son. You see, in my flesh, I see this as something I've created and become, but in my soul, it's something I now believe is a gift from God. I didn't decide I was going to be like this, or have a deep yearning to seek and to ever be curious. The Lord instilled this attribute into my being. To be sure, this aspect of my being personally has looked, felt, and shown up differently throughout my life. And it's not always been positive, but it's a part of my persona. And I cling to it quite a bit. But what the deepest part of my soul believes is that I'm still a sheep. Yes, I may own a lot of titles on this earth, and honestly, I'm not that into all of them. Even an elder can offer a title that seems higher or better or more holy or whatever, but I'm just a sheep, and it comforts me to know that, which makes no sense. And this isn't some passive humility. I mean, is it even possible to be humble if you say I'm being humble? See, what I desire is us to learn in the peace and contentment that's found in being part of a flock and not holding it all together. In the first couple of verses, David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Though you may think my Nebraska roots would have informed my agricultural understanding of sheep and shepherds, it did not. We had some dogs. I lived on a street with houses and cars and stoplights with paved roads and stores and schools and all the things people like to ask me if I had in Nebraska when I grew up. And not growing up in the church, this idea was foreign to me, though it shows up many, many times. Sheeps and shepherds. Until I began to read Psalm 23 and experience the care a shepherd really required to offer his sheep, it just felt churchy to me. My eyes were closed and my heart wasn't seeking. You see, David was a shepherd before he was was called to rule. So writing Psalm 23 later in his kingship, would have real nostalgia and deep understanding of what a shepherd needs and what his con- constituents would need. And I think it shows up here in David's description of God who did hear for him as he, nailed, as he needed throughout the cross, or he needed throughout his life. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God makes us rest, Sabbath rest. God leads us to peace, soulful contentment. God restores us, everlasting restoration. God shepherds us. He's with us. God is my shepherd, and I am the sheep. I don't have to figure it all out. I don't have to plan a perfect week to get rest. I don't have to lead in all that I do. I don't have to restore all things. I don't have to trench my own path. God is with me as I seek in my curiosity. David eloquently reminds me that I don't have to be God and that God is with me today he loves us and his faithfulness is great great is thy faithfulness to the herd we are not the shepherd believing this gives us peace while we search for new ideas and new thoughts believing this comforts us when we think we should be doing something believing this makes us feel loved like unlike any one person gives us believing this reminds us of his faithfulness believing this helps us get out of bed to go and do. Believing this motivates us to speak, to seek. Believing this helps us to let go of control. Believing this reminds us we are cared for. The most beautiful aspect of this section and what keeps catching my eye, maybe the focal point of crescendo, you may say, is that I do, is that I don't have to be anything more than a sheep today, and God will be with me, right next to me. Being an actual shepherd would have required you to sleep with the herd, to act as guide, to act as purveyor, to act as physician, and to act as decision maker. David did this with, with sheep in the field and with his constituents during his kingship, yet he needed to pen a piece of poetry that reminded him he still needed care. He still needed someone to heal him. He still needed to be led. He still needed rest. He still needed a God that gives freely a path to righteousness. So when I wake up, and I can't rid myself of stress or thought that I just can't be X, Y, or Z today. I read this psalm, and it offers me an emotional response. See, it's not that it offers me an emotional response that always heals or always fixes. For sure, sometimes it does in an instant, and I can exhale. But other times, it's just the exit ramp I need to stop the pedal to the floor stress, filling my, It's, it's just the exit ramp I need to stop the pedal to the floor stress, race. My mind is hammering down. It says I don't have to think even harder to pray the right prayer in that moment or find the right words because I think in the moment I need to realign my physical and spiritual selves to God before he will offer me peace, before he will give me comfort. I just stop and I just read. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I experience this in the moment by myself, and it reads me and returns with something unique each time. It's here for emotions. It's here for experiences. It's here for care. It's not a piece of information that has a right or wrong theological disposition. It's a piece of art that offers its viewers a response in the moment. It offers you a shepherd. Try it. Let's move on to the traveler and his companion. I'm not that old. I feel like I need to say this because a couple of months ago I sat down with a member from our church and his father, who's in his 80s, and when I sat down and introduced myself and he looked at his son and he said, I thought I was meeting with an elder. It was great. Honestly, it was incredible. It came with a wave of reality that I adore and feeds my soul. I'm grateful for that brother's words and check. My point here is not that I'm old or young. I'm 36 years old, and in my small amount of maturity, I'm working on my waiting. I don't wait well, or really at all. I learned pretty early I could take what I want when I wanted it. You probably know that by now. So waiting was really foreign to me, yet I was in constant waiting, and in my restlessness is when I felt lost, when I felt attacked, and when the darkness and where the darkness in my heart would show up and at times, boil over. Wandering in the darkness and waiting by myself gives me the heebie-jeebies. It's scary. I can quickly spiral my emotions and feelings into false realities and truths. I offer a place for disbelief, unworthiness, shame, and guilt to take life inside my heart, so I get worried and I get anxious. If not redirected, calmed, or put to death, I begin to act on these, and it never represents my true self nor the God that I call Father but it happens. Right? Spiritual warfare on the evil one is alive and well today. Don't take that for granted. A couple of weeks ago, my group, we started talking about demons and angels and spiritual warfare and unique aspects of spirituality that aren't that mainstream, but 100% present as they were a thousand years ago. What we all stumbled to discuss or defend or search for or truce about and seek answers to was the was that we all experience these aspects of the valley of the shadow of death, or darkness, in personal and unique ways. Your darkness looks different than mine, and my darkness looks different than yours, but let's name it, it's darkness. It's tangible in our interactions, it's emotional in our bodies, and it's ever-present where we look. When I wait, the exposure of, the, of darkness is there. Peter says, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. See, I didn't always believe this. I didn't believe evil lurked, or that evil one had power, or that darkness could overtake me. But in waiting, I see it. I feel it. It's heavy and waiting. Like a ton of bricks, I can experience a barrage of thoughts that ping in my head, back and forth, to and fro, like waves crashing, then balls shooting, and my heart races, and I start to breathe differently, the thoughts keep coming. I'm traveling on the road, and right now I can't stop having these thoughts. Maybe you've had these thoughts before, or maybe this week, or maybe this morning. We're not accomplishing enough. We're not busy enough. We're not representing myself well enough. We're losing control. We're gonna screw it up. We're missing something. We're lost. See, the road didn't change. We're on the same road we were on a day before or a moment before. It's now a road that feels like the path is tidying down. The trees are hanging over with little room to wiggle. The brush and edges are steep. And with one move, we could fall. We could slip. We could lose it all. We're likely not physically or presently doing anything out of the ordinary. We're simply waiting for news of change or news of decision or news of praise or news of newness but we're emotionally ungrounded, and in the valley of the shadow of death, we're fearful. And for me, in that moment, I'm only in the kitchen, trying to decide what to eat for breakfast, and it's 5.30 in the morning, and all I wanted to do in that moment is get on my phone and press fast-forward on my waiting. Email, call, text, new task list, new note, schedule change, order a new book, find a new podcast, boom. It's 5.45 in the morning, and I'm exhausted. I'm an emotional shell of myself and traveling alone. Tired, cold, out of bandwidth. But here I am, same room, same kitchen, same valley. I anxiously await in the waiting, yet the Lord never left me. God is with us as we wait. He was there the whole time. Waiting with me in the valley. He's not the traveler's compass or guidepost that points us occasionally in the right direction, but is the companion that is walking next to you next to us, encouraging us along the way in the valley. He says, I'm with you. I'm near. I'm still here. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A companion isn't a tool that the carpenter wields or controls by a— the companion isn't a tool that the carpenter wields or controlled by electricity that needs to be turned on or a battery that needs to be charged after it dies. The companion's alive and well and sharper than any two-edged sword. He fears no evil and gives us strength when we, when I, just cannot. We can feel the companion's present and find peace in his authority. His authority over my life, and that in the waiting we are not just a We are not just a wandering or spinning my wheels waiting for that new relationship, waiting for that new job, waiting for the note from that friend, waiting for the news from the health, waiting on news from the health of a family member, or waiting for just the next thing to do. We submit it all over. We submit that he is all over all of it and alongside us. In his authority, the companion does not leave us on the road in the valley to face evil alone. But unlike anything or everyone else, he goes with us to defeat it. A companion. He has authority we do not hold. His rod and his staff offer comfort. He guides our path and lights our way. He, his will is not disrupted by mine or yours or church in the squares or some other institution of the world. It's his will. His way does not waver when he is weary. His light remains on. It's hard to even write this section as I constantly have had to go back and reread my notes to remind myself that I am not alone. Psalm 23 brings the God of the universe, a God that is big and too big to put in a box right into my kitchen. On the way to school to drop off, as you log on for that first call, as you commute to work, And on the way to see that person or that friend or that boss or that family member or that person you don't even know, God is with me while I wait. He's with you. In his presence, his authority, his rod and his staff guide us and help wade through the waters without destruction, without acting a fool, or without shutting down. He calms our anxiousness in times of stress. He plucks us from danger when we head towards sin. He casts out the fear of man in times of feeling unworthy. He defeats false beliefs that we make up for comfort. He is the companion that never wavers when the road is messy or broken or long or steep. He is with us as we wait. And the final attempt to narrate this psalm with my experience is we get to the guest and his host. I love to host. It's one of my greatest joys, hosting in our home, setting the table, preparing a meal, choosing the appropriate liquids, curating the simple yet subtle flexes. It's lovely, and I'm way into it. To be sure, without being checked, I'm somewhere between extra and hospitable, but I'm drawn to the deep and emotional feeling of hospitality and provision, a desire to provide and provide well. I have a provider complex, for sure. I link this provision to love, not ability, but how I show love through my provision to Ashley, the Schmidt kids, and friends. It's definitely love language of mine, and I'm probably Greek or Italian in my ancestry because my desire for full bellies, well-chosen drinks, and everyone having what they need to belong is woven into my being. <laughs> I get a lot of life from this. And it's really an outpouring of what I experienced from the Lord in ways I never thought possible. But I don't always believe this truth, that my God, the Lord of hosts, has prepared a table before me. And isn't provision from the Lord tricky? Who earned that dollar? Who put that job in front of you? Who timed up the meeting of that relationship? Who navigated the options of choice on where to live? Who made it possible to be here today? sitting in these chairs. Who can prepare room for themselves in heaven? My flesh says I do. It's me, I crushed it. Or I waited the best. Or I discerned the Lord more accurately. Or I was more patient. Or, well, if you only knew how hard I prayed. For sure, prayer, discernment, and waiting are part of each believer's story. But even David, King David, wrote, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our God provides opportunities, decisions, and choices for us because he loves us deeply without the manipulating quid pro quo of this world. We just aren't that powerful. We just aren't. For some of us, this is good news. For others, it sounds foreign. See, the world says to get what's yours, go get it, man. Shoot, girl, you deserve that. But what David paints is that he prepares the table. He gives us the spirit. In his house, we will dwell in forever. Not the one you want, not the next one, not yours, not mine. The story of our home is quite interesting. Especially coming from someone who, at the time, really had it all together. I was six years into my job, 28, 29 years old. I just took a new job because, of course, I needed to do it all on my own. I do it all by myself. And my wife and I were ready to buy a home. At this point in my life, I was following Jesus in a small group, internally broken but outwardly crushing it. It's a long story, so to avoid making you the plant in this conversation, let me get to the point. After a long, drown-out and expensive process to close on the home we live in today, we're gonna to be short about 30 grand to close. We received the news and I was shook. I was home alone. I sat on the couch and cried inside. This was pre me crying outwardly. I needed to call Ashley and tell her. I was out of my own strings to pull. So Ashley and I talked and we said, well, let's tell our family, a small group this week, and walk away from the deal. And brought our needs to the table, and without even asking, a member of our group says, Oh, we have the money. We can lend it to you. You should get the house. These people had, these are people we had no idea could fulfill a need, and it was met. We experienced his provision. His provision. See, the climax of this isn't that we got the house. It's that he provided, it's that he provided. It's that he provided it, which reveals the love he holds for us that has no material value. Looking back, which is usually when I see the most of God because in my... Looking back, which is usually when I see the most of God because in my flesh I'm blind to it. It was never about the house. It was all obedience to the point of death. Death that I could do it all myself. See, now the story... I tell, and the only story I can tell is that the Lord put us here. He called us to this longitude and latitude, not that I provide it perfectly, Do you see the beauty of being the guest and not the host, Do you see the difference in being the guest and not the host. Without a host, there is no guest. It's not one or the other. We're invited or called into a family, into a people that aren't worthy to be called, yet the Lord of hosts sets a table in the kingdom of heaven for me, for you, for his people. And on this earth, I'm able to experience the goodness and mercy of him today with no need to seek and no need to wait. See, I can't earn goodness and mercy. I can't perfectly prepare a smoked piece of goodness and serve it with a classically shaken mercy cocktail in the house of the Lord during a three-course meal. I just can't do it. See, goodness is defined by the character of whom David writes and the character of whom to come. Mercy shows up through the Son of Man who took my place on the cross, provides my final dwelling place, which doesn't need a down payment or a good real estate agent. Emmanuel, which means God with us, came as a man to shepherd his flock that wasn't all the same, that didn't all fit together. He was physically with them on the road and with them when trouble showed up and with them as they walked in the valley of the shadow of death. He took on death without wavering, and three days later rose and defeated death so hearts didn't have to stay dead. And he is with us now as we navigate this age from beginning to end where he waits in the house of the Lord forever. David experienced the same God that is with us. His name is Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, the companion, the host. Finally, I invite you to listen to David one more time. I invite you to learn as I am to the affections David has for our God. Let them fall over you like a wave of truth and beauty cascading down your entire being and hear what you need to hear today. Hear what your mind needs. Hear what your body needs. Hear what your heart needs. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. Let me pray. You're a big, big God. You're a big, big God that does big, big things. Things that we can't fathom, things that we don't fully understand, things we may never be able to put the right words on. But you're a God that came in human form, that desires a one-on-one relationship so that we today may feel, experience, and have the emotions of living and walking alongside our God. Thank you for showing up in real time for us, God. God, please bless our minds, bless our bodies. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.